Giblet fell out of the unexpected portal into a pile of scorching sand, the unpleasant grit immediately invading the folds of his reptilian hide. The sun was blinding and already burning the back of his head. He needed to find shade, fast. Squinting out at the endless, golden desert, Giblet spotted a patch of cacti and began moving towards it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Giblet stopped. What was that? Shaking sand out of his ears, the sound stopped, and Giblet continued on his way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Giblet grimaced. <laughs> Turning in a full circle to investigate the world around him, he still saw nothing but sand and the lone group of cacti in the distance. Hmm. Onward. Giblet sighed and closed his eyes, resigned to his fate, as a young land shark burst up from the sand behind him, joyously closing its giant maw around the kobold before diving back down into the sand and burrowing off, its shark fin jutting out from the sand as it went. Hi. I'm Katie, and before we read today's chapter from the Tome of Dungeoneering, I need to go ahead and let you all know, I adore these puppy-fied sharks, and I am completely blind to their faults. Where you may see a monster biting a horse in half and savagely tearing at the bone, I see a mischievous golden retriever puppy gnawing on the furniture. So cute! With this in mind, I tend to be pretty vocal in disavowing existing descriptions of these precious babies. And I'm warning you now, there's Katie bias and heavy text criticism ahead. To me, the boulet looks like somebody took a giant white shark, gave it four legs, a ginormous oversized jaw, and hard plating all over. In some artistic renderings of the boulet, the tooth-filled jaw makes up about a third, if not a whole half, of the creature's overall body. The original article specifies the boulet was crossbred from an armadillo and a snapping turtle, but then notes they can grow up to a whopping 9 to 11 feet long. It's like introducing someone to a crocodile and saying, Oh yeah, look at this tanky boy. We made him from a grumpy lizard in a leather belt. <laughs> Most sources note this creature's origins are ultimately just conjecture. What is known for sure is that the boulet love to eat, and sources tend to point to the creature's appetite as its primary motivation for, well, most everything. <laughs> The original description of the boulet flat out notes that the species, quote, seems to exist for the express purpose of feeding, end quote. They have a particular sweet tooth when it comes to horse flesh and halflings, and they will tear down anything that stands in the way of these tasty treats. The third edition Monster Manual from 2000 comments, quote, The land shark has a foul temperament, stupid, mean, and fearless. The size, strength, and number of its opponents means nothing. End quote. Oh, I can relate, my dear land sharks. I, too, can become hangry and make very poor life decisions when something is standing between me and my dinner, especially if it's something lovely like sushi or Dr. Pepper. 
As you might imagine, their primary attack method is using their giant jaws to chomp down on things and tear off big chunks, if not outright biting the victim in half. They don't have a lot of vulnerable spots, so if you find yourself opposing one, it's best to use their lack of magic resistance to your advantage. I imagine giving it a solid boop on the nose might also help discourage it for at least a moment. Now, let's pause for a moment and talk about how land sharks are treated in the source material. We've already touched on two separate articles calling them stupid and mean, but I would like to propose an alternative perspective. The image accompanying the Boulet's debut in the Dragon Master Creature feature shows a group of knights dressed in medieval armor attempting to take down a land shark. So, when I read the article, I tend to imagine it as coming from an outdated source, like maybe a retired knight who didn't have very much interaction with the land shark, except to see them as dangerous, horse-eating pests that needed to be put down. Such a limited perspective is surely lacking true understanding of these sharky boops. The text also indicates that, at the time of its writing, not a whole lot was known about the boule, saying, quote, No young have ever been sighted. And, quote, no one knows how or where the young are born or hatched. <laughs> but I guess things have changed since then, because in Elminster's Ecologies from 1994, we get a particularly awful description of the mating ritual and hatching experience. The text is purportedly written by a hero of the Forgotten Realms, Elminster. It details how, when a male boulet is ready to find his match, he creates a giant circle of dead things. As predators are drawn to the horrific smell of death, the boulet just adds their bodies to the ring. <laughs> then, when the pile is high enough, he digs a hole in the center, spends a week chewing up all the bones into a fine powder, uses it to line the bottom of the pit, and then he lays in wait, burrowed just under the pile of crushed bone powder, and a female will usually find the circle of death within a month. Elminster describes the process as horrific, and stinking and terrible. But y'all, I see it as so sweet and romantic. You guys, this creature, he's marked in all available sources as having an insatiable appetite. But he's willing to forego all of that food for over a month. Literally. It puts the tasty dead things in its mouth, chews it all up, spits it out, leaves it, and then just stays in the dirt right beneath it, where the temptation is right there, literally within reach. So much self-control and self-sacrifice goes into this mating ritual. Elminster then talks about how when the female lays a dozen eggs, which, by the way, are described as rock-hard and covered in spines? What? The next day, when the eggs hatch, the babies are so hungry, they try to eat mom. Mom tries to eat the babies, and it usually ends up that only two or three babies survive, celebrating survival by eating what's left of their dead siblings and their mother. Elminster comments, quote, I told you it was awful. Shut up, Elminster. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all. I don't believe a word of this trash. I think Elminster wanted bragging rights to be the only person to ever see how land sharks reproduce, so he went out in the middle of nowhere, got bored, got impatient, got tired of the smell from the ring of death, and then sat down and made up a whole lot of bullshit so he could get out of that nowhere and go on to the next monster to research. Yep, that's definitely it. Mm-hmm. No matricide or infanticide here. Nope, nope, nope. A really, really big clue for 
everybody should have been the, quote, rock-hard spine-covered eggs. No. Sure, Elminster. Sure. <sighs> Jeez. I'm sure by now you're all yelling into your podcast device, Katie, enough already. We get it. We get it. You love land sharks. But how can I use land sharks in my campaign if you don't want me to kill them? Aw, listeners, I'm so glad you asked. The limitations of the source material open up an entire world of possibility. It's entirely possible the information gathered is only from rare sightings and not indicative of the average boulet. For all we know, they may form very loving and protective family groups, with only the most hateful troublemakers forced to exclusion and solitude for those knights to battle over their horses. For all we know, they are exceptionally loyal and cuddly. If you're thinking about keeping a land shark as a pet, the source material does have helpful notes on their diet preferences. We already know they love to eat horses and halflings, but interestingly, don't like the taste of dwarf, and will outright refuse to eat elf. So if anyone in your party happens to be an elf and wants to adopt a sweet, toothy baby, this is a great pick. There are lots of antics to be had trying to stop your boulet from eating the halfling in your party, along with all of your mounts. <laughs> it may also be a fun campaign setup to have a group of desert nomads seeking help protecting the boulet from poachers. Maybe because the nomads have a symbiotic relationship with the boulet. With Landshark's powerful capacity to move through the desert sands, they would be fantastic for transportation. Rig those puppies up with a proper harness and you've got dog sled racing. Uh, I mean, shark sled racing. Come on. And with their tremor sense, they would be immensely helpful for search and rescue. Instead of a St. Bernard charging to the stranded party with a barrel of water around its neck, the land shark would barrel up with a water keg on their back. At the end of Elminster's account, he does note that the finely crushed bone powder of the boule nest, soaked in liquid from the hatched eggs, makes an incredibly potent fertilizer. You could task your party with seeking out this powder. Maybe they'll find a happier ending to the land shark reproduction story. If you do want to set the boule against your party and have them get into a challenging fight, there's also lots of avenues to explore. The land shark's stomach acids can break down most anything bone, armor, steel, entire living rooms, they would make a very fitting guard shark to evildoers, especially ones that regularly need to dispose of evidence. What a fitting mascot for your local body disposal service! Following the idea from earlier that especially spiteful or psychopathic boulets are the ones that get kicked out of the family groups, it may be that your party comes across a genuinely malevolent or outright insane land shark. Instead of creating circles of dead bodies to attract a mate, it kills and constructs the rings for sheer pleasure. Or, perhaps, something even more foul, like attempts at demonic summoning. Your party hearing of a crazed boulet attacking any caravan it comes across and then building horrific summoning circles with the bodies? They'd be hard-pressed to disagree. That needs to stop. From adorable shark puppies to crazed corpse artists, there are so many ways to use the boulet for plot and flavor. Let us know how you decide to use these fantastic creatures in your campaign. As always, we want to take a moment at the end of the episode to express our deepest gratitude to our listeners and our supporters. You liking and subscribing and sharing our show with friends and supporting us on Patreon those contributions mean the world to us. It is your continued support that enables us to follow our passion. 
If you know someone who might enjoy our show, please consider sharing our episodes. And if you want to support us directly, consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can find more information at patreon.com slash into the dungeon and more of our content at inthedungeon.com. Thanks, everyone. We can't wait to read you another chapter from the Tome of Dungeoneering. Hey, hey, it's an owl bear.